Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We would like to acknowledge that this podcast maiden is being held on Aboriginal land, the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. And we would like to pay respect to their eldest past, present and immersion and their multiple birth parents with children with disabilities. And this week we are talking to Sally Rippon. She's an author of many children's books, including the Billy B. Brown series and the more recent School of Monsters series. Everything she's written over the last 15 years has been for kids who struggle with reading after having witnessed her own son's struggle. Her latest book, Wild Things, How We Learn to Read and What Can Happen If We Don't, is her first book for adults. A mixture of personal experience, research and interviews with experts and members of the disability and neurodivergent communities. Sally set out to write the book she needed when her son first started school. This podcast contains truth, laughter and the occasional f word so it's not really suitable for children sometimes you just have to get your shits out shit 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 that's right this is a language warning oh shit Yes. Hello, Kate. Hello. We're in separate rooms today. Yes, I've got a sick person, sick Molly at home. So, yep. but um, yep, I've got a little sound system set up here. So hopefully it sounds okay. Hopefully we will find out at the <laughs> next week when the episode comes out. It's still Yay. cold in Melbourne. For those of you obsessed yep. with our weather chats, it's cold. I've got a blanket on my knee. Yep. Yep. It feels yep. like winter's here back. Anyway. Come on, spring. Come the on. trees are coming back though. Like my daughter said this morning, oh, the Trees are coming back. I was like, yep, they're coming. Come on. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Trees are coming back. Mm. Yeah, nearly school holidays for us here in Victoria too. So we're just getting, we're dragging people to school. Yeah, actually when this comes yeah. out, it will be school holidays. So, yes. yeah, Lots we will have made people. it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so we have got a great person to interview today. Would you like to say hello? Hello, everybody. I'm so excited to be here. Longtime fan and just absolutely thrilled to be in the the Two Peas podcast room. Oh, thank you, Sally. We're thrilled to have you. We really, really, really are. So we will ask our three questions and then get on to the book. Okay. Yeah. So our first question is, do you have any songs or a band or music that either gets you through the hard times or pumps you up in the good times? This is such a good question. I mean, how often do you get asked about your music on a parenting podcast, right? So I was so <laughs> excited that I had to go through my coping list of favourite songs. It's as hard to choose as your favourite book, but I've come up with three. Can I give you three? Yes, yes, you can. Excellent. So there's a band from London called Jungle and absolutely anything that you put on from them will just make you want to get up and dance. Ooh. They're just so upbeat. Their video clips are amazing. They have all these incredible dances. 
And you could start with the very first song I remember hearing quite a while ago was called Busy Earning, which is a really fun get up and dance track. But otherwise, Heavy California is a really nice one too. So if you need to get up and dance, you got to clean your house. You just need something to keep you going. Jungle is your person. All right, right. That will go on Spotify. (laughs) Yep. Um, Okay, big feelings person that I am. I want to include a Manchester band called Elbow. Okay. Most beautiful, most beautiful lyrics ever. One of my all-time favourite songs is a song called Starlings and it's kind of summarises the relationship with my partner and I. So we met quite late in life and, you know, we often say to each other we're old enough and ugly enough to accept each other for who we are. (laughs) And so (laughs) the lyrics of Starling are just beautiful and there's this one line that we say to each other that just just completely makes my heart explode even though we've been together for 10 years, which is you're the only person in any room I'm ever in. And oh, just oh, love it. Love it. Beautiful so that's fine. <laughs> and then I need to put an Australian artist in too. So Megan yep. Washington is oh, an yep. extraordinary artist. I think my favorite song of hers is Begin Again. And sometimes when you just need a really good cry, yes. that's fun and it just oh, tugs at your heartstrings. And I particularly want to mention her for this podcast because she gave a beautiful TEDx talk in Sydney about overcoming a stutter. And it is just so powerful to listen to and just also shows you the power of music, of art, Mm. and also of telling your story. You know, that Mm. when you tell your story, you allow people the space to tell theirs. So Mm. she's an extraordinary person. Ah, I've seen her live. I think she's incredible. Yeah, I will look that up. Thank Mm. you. Mm. And next question is, did you win any awards at school? (laughs) I love this question too because I can say no. (laughs) People are either cheering because they say no or they get scared because they won a lot. (laughs) I was mediocre at sport. I was um, just not very competitive. I think Mm. probably the best thing that ever happened to me at school, I used to write a lot of stories even in grade six. Mm. Um, I was making my own books and I had a teacher in grade six, actually it was year seven, so I had started high school, who used to read my stories out in class and that was like winning all the awards. definitely. Yes. Almost been all my life. I think he was the person that spurred me on to be a writer Mm. because he read my stories out and I felt like a real author. And, of course, I'd shrink down in my chair and I'd blush and I'd be all embarrassed. But I was so proud that he took my work seriously. So no awards but some pretty awesome teachers along the way. Oh, that reminds me of my music teacher when I could flip to the last page of the recorder book in Year (laughs) 7 and I played the last song and I just thought I was amazing. (laughs) And she went on to become a professional recorder player. (laughs) would if there was any place there to go. There are. <laughs> Recorder, those really stinky instruments that you, they used to hand out in class. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, awesome. you know, when you're good at it, you're good at it, Sally, and I embraced <laughs> it. <laughs> I just remember they used to smell. Oh, disgusting. Now at least the kids get their own. We just yeah. had to use one out of a box. <laughs> Disgusting. Anyway, enough about me, silly me. Uh, oh. uh, and our very last question is why are you a P? So I only came across your podcast fairly recently, mainly because for a long time I held out um, thinking that I wasn't I wasn't able to say I was part of this community. Mm. Um, I'm a disabled mm. person myself. My son is neurodivergent, so yes. he's ADHD and dyslexic. Yeah. 
But I'd never thought until recently that that was a disability. And it wasn't until my friend Eliza Hull, who's a beautiful musician and also a disability advocate, that explained to me the social model of disability. And she said, you know, if your son is disabled by the environment that he's learning in, surely that means he has a disability. And that prospect just blew my mind. I didn't think that that was something that we could consider. And I ran it past him and, and he agreed. He saw her point. And the most beautiful thing that that gave him and also us was for for me to stop comparing myself to other parents that had kids that weren't neurodivergent and to tap into these beautiful communities that are all about reaching out for each other. And, um, yeah, it was, you know, it was a really powerful moment for us to think, okay, this, this is these are our people, you know, stop comparing ourselves to other people and there are more people out there because I was certainly... For some weird reason, I kept myself very isolated and alone. I think I was very ashamed as a children's mm-hmm. author that I had a son that couldn't read. Mm-hmm. I mean, he does read. That's silly to say that, but he really struggles and he doesn't read for pleasure. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I just kind of kept that as my dirty secret for a mm-hmm. really long time. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <gasps> definitely, definitely part of the P tribe. And <laughs> I think it's also because disability has had a terrible stigma that it should never have had. It's just a part of who you are or we are. But, yes, society and schooling is not set up for neurodivergent people. So Mm. 100% they have a disability and it's an awesome thing that they have, but we just have to tweak the world a bit. Yes, yes. So where where should we start? I just want to say we're big fans of Billy B. Brown in our house (laughs) and they came along at just the most perfect time for my daughters. Um, especially my daughter Molly, who has lots of difficulty reading. But for her to be able to take one of those books to school and even just pretend was really massive, right? And so I'm just super grateful to you at that time that she felt like she had a book that she could try. Mm-mm. And feel included. Mm. Yeah. Thank you so much. With, with her twins, yeah. you know, reading through all of them. And then, you know, there was that complexity there her sister being able to just boom her head with reading and then not be able to, yeah, that's really tricky stuff. Mm. Mm. It's great to hear that because I actually started writing the Billy series when my son, who's now 19, was in grade two, and that was when I first saw that he was struggling to keep up with the class Mm. and struggling to learn to read and saying things like, I hate school, I hate books, I hate reading, Mm -hmm. which was, um, you know, like, chalk on a proverbial chalkboard. Yes. I think it's a proverbial yes, chalkboard. Yes, you know yes, what yeah. I'm talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and so I did did set out to write a series that was still inciting and exciting enough for a young person to read but using the language of a reader. And I really I would test everything out on him because he has the attention span of a goldfish <laughs> and if I saw his attention wane or if I could see that he wasn't engaged by the story, I'd cut it down, I'd make it tighter, make it snappier. So I road tested everything on him and it was actually mm. his idea to come up with the Jack series because he said, yes. why does he have to tell the story all the time? Why does he have to Jack? Yes. So I wrote the Jack series for him too. But, look, I thought that was all it was going to, I was going to need to have to do to get him to be a reader. It was just write a series that he'd want to read. Of course. But apparently there's more to it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Who there is. Oh. <laughs> I know. And all the, and I have three children that were good, big readers before I had the twins, but all the, you know, posts on Facebook or Book Week or, you know, we've all got a friend who's a librarian or who's, you know, if you just show them this genre, then they'll read and you're like, no, they won't. 
And I, I know for me, I was reading in the NICU in the crib. So I was like, I've been reading mm. and they before they should have even been born. So it doesn't, you know, energy and effort doesn't necessarily equate. I think it's a really important point because, because I'm also a member of a lot of um, dyslexia parent support mm. groups. Mm. It's, it's actually a really painful thing for a parent yes. to read, to be told that if you just read to your child enough yes. from birth, mm. or if you just chose a different genre, it, and then what they're hearing is surely you're doing something wrong. Yes. Where, in fact, dyslexia is a neurodevelopmental difference. And yeah. so it doesn't matter how much you read to your child. Having said that, there are also ways that dyslexic children can be taught from very young. And I didn't know anything about early intervention when mm. my, my son was much, much older. So there are ways that kids who struggle to learn to read can be given that extra support. And by the time this comes out, um, the news will be well and truly out that there's now just mandated phonics checks in mm. Victoria. I just saw that. Yeah, New South Wales as well. And that has been this parent group just lobbying, just saying, look, you know, yes, some kids will pick up reading by osmosis. Mm. I did as a child. You know, Same. my older children did too. Mm. But if we want to make sure every child in the classroom is given the same access to reading, they all need to be taught in this systematic phonics way yep. because yep. they're going to fall through the cracks. And after grade two, you can't keep teaching them to read because after after that they're supposed to read to learn, not learn to read. And it's mm. not fair to expect a teacher who's in grade three, grade four, to be still helping these kids reading. If we can get it going really early and get these kids up to scratch by grade two, they should be able to access the information that all their classmates can. So this is an amazing parent group that has been lobbying mm. for this for such a long time. Oh. They're all celebrating. Oh. I've got all these. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> yes. We know how, how powerful parents are because we hate seeing our children suffer. Suffer. And we, could, we don't want other people's children. That's to right. Suffer. Because normally yeah. by the time we've worked it out, our kids are through that. But it's still fighting and fighting for other kids and fighting that this injustice just doesn't take place anymore. Powerful, just incredible. Mm. Yeah. How did you manage the early years at school when you realised things? I mean, you write it in the book, but in your words for us today, what? Mm. How? How did that? Or when did it unfold in front of you? When you're like, oh my gosh, I got to do something. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, too late. Yeah. I'm really embarrassed to admit that, you know. I think because the other thing to, to say that is actually quite important is that it was very clear that he was dyslexic from early on because that's something you can see quite easily if a child struggles to learn to read. But it wasn't until he was near nine that we also had him assessed for ADHD. Mm, right. And I didn't know anything about ADHD. You know, I had right. all these terrible ideas in my head oh, that it was just you know, naughty boys that drank a lot of red cordial. Yeah, yeah. kicked holes in the wall and you saw them on yeah. a current affair. Yeah. Yep. Right. And so, you know, my my son was this sweet, sunny, lovely child all throughout primary school because his teachers loved him. We just totally didn't do anything about it. And I think Mm. had he been a child that had played up, he maybe would have got the attention Mm. that he needed Mm. and the intervention he needed. So it wasn't until he reached high school where he was having to do lots of different teachers and being in different classrooms. He just couldn't keep up at all. And the wheels fell off and he went downhill really quickly, not just in his work and his school engagement, but his self-esteem, how he mm, felt about himself. Mm, and it was horrible yeah. to watch. And I kept saying, what am I doing wrong? What have I done wrong? And it was actually the Dyslexic Victoria support group that suggested I might want him to have, to have him assessed for ADHD. Mm. And that changed everything because when I researched and realised, you know, what ADHD is and how it can affect your capacity to focus in the classroom and listen and follow what's going on, 
I just beat myself up and I thought, why didn't I know this? Why didn't I give him the support he needed? So, you know, I felt like a very bad mother for a very long time. And I thought, well, at least what I can do with all this information I know now is to pass it on to other parents. And so I did huge amount of research, huge amount of reading, asking lots and lots of questions Mm. of other parents and people, like you say, in the neurodivergent disability community. Mm. And I put all of that into this book. I thought, if I messed it up, at least I can show you how I messed up. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, you're super honest in it. And I'm really grateful to that. You say all the way along, I wished I had have done this or I'm Mm. sad I didn't do that. And that's how we feel. Yeah. And you end with, you know, if I could do it again. Like that's a really big, scary thought that parents just think alone at two o'clock in the morning. They don't write it on a piece of paper and let everybody read it. So super powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. And I have to say, you know, it is scary sending something out that's so so personal and mm, so yes. mm, mm, mm. But I have to say every time I have seen someone, particularly a public figure, speak about something really close to them, mm. so about mental health or um, Emrushiano recently, her press talk mm, about mm, ADHD, mm, mm. so powerful. And these people are being vulnerable mm. in front of an audience and it makes you think, oh, my goodness, I'm not alone. I'm not the only yes. person that's lying here in the morning feeling like this. Yeah. So I... That, that's at the least that I can do is to be mm. honest and, and vulnerable. I managed to do that very easily in my fiction, of course, because I can make all my characters do things. Yes. <laughs> but really all my characters are me. And so yes. this is me with no veil. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yes. it's a big deal, Sally. It's a really, <laughs> it's a really big deal. And I think like when I was reading through the book, I was just like, oh, this is me. This is 100% my life. <laughs> I mean, I suppose I was lucky because the twins were flagged as probably having issues from birth. So we constantly had follow-up with the paediatrician. We had heaps of assessments at school. I was advocating before they were at school. So really that's a bonus, which, you know, as you say, all parents should have. We should all have testing done or all learn through phonics or whatever. But, yeah, I had my boys doing that in prep. So they, even though they both have dyslexia, they can read. I mean, they never sit down and pick up a book. That's, you know, not something they do. But they'll fact check stuff. They'll use books for the purpose of, you know, gaining knowledge or learning about V8 engines or whatever. Um, but they love books. They love them being read to them. Mm. Yeah. And look, reading we use for everything. And the other thing I have to say is that I used to be really snobby about what oh, reading yeah. was. Yeah, <laughs> oh, me too. My- my two older boys, you know, incredible readers. They read fluently in two languages. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're great, Mum. I am fantastic. <laughs> but then number three comes along and he's not doing the same things. Mm. And so I used to be very smug about that. Oh. I used to think I was this amazing mum because we'd have these internet-free days and look yes. at my kids reading on the couch. But you know what? For a lot of kids that struggle to learn and in very conventional ways, the internet is a godsend. It's an yes. amazing thing. And yes. my partner is also very dyslexic and very, very ADHD. And one of the things that ADHD can give you is this extraordinary ability to deep dive into things. Mm-hmm. So my son and my partner 
you know, they'll go deep into a topic and they'll do all these kind of rabbit warrens into the internet and find out all these extraordinary facts about things. And they wouldn't have been able to access that information without the internet. So I've had to let go a lot of my snobbery around where we get our information from. Now, obviously, I love books. I think books are important and reading to your kids is vital. But also, you know, I've really had to understand that we all need different things to be able to access information. And the internet has been amazing. You know, one of the things to keep an eye on, though, ADHD people are more likely to get addicted to the internet. (laughs) Got to keep an eye on that too. But, you know, I've had to do less talking and more listening. I think that's been the biggest thing that I've learned along the way having a neurodivergent kid is that I had all these ideas of what it was to be a successful person in the world and I've had to scrap all of those Mm. and actually look at who he is and what he can be and what his potential is. So Mm. that's, that's been huge. I'm grateful for that. I know, yes. it's a gift that yes. we wish we'd had with all of our kids because they all deserve that. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. And we can have it for everyone in the world. Yes. You know, it makes me look at people mm. make me think all those things where I used to judge people and their ability to spell. What a horrible thing to do. I know. Yeah. Totally. So I, I would say everybody I've met in these disability and neurodivergent communities, they become better people for it because oh, you do have to let go of a lot of your snobbery and a lot of your pre, um, you know, the, the ideas that your preconceptions about what a person mm. is and really learn to be so much more empathetic and do much more listening. And you go back to realising that actually writing and reading is about communicating. It's not about putting the comma in the right place or I before E. None of that actually matters. It's about, you know, you get a letter from your child or a card and it says I love you. Isn't it about that? It's not whether the capital I is done. And, yeah, yeah, that was a huge moment for me. The first time they might send you a text. Yes. You're just like, wow. Yeah, huge. There will always be people that obsess over words. I am in that group. And I'm very, you know, I'm very proud to be part of a group that do obsess over where a comma goes. And that's totally fine too. But, you know, there are people who obsess over classical music. There are people who obsess over trains are made. So we've got to be passionate about something. But to expect that everybody is going to have the same capacity to express themselves is just unfair. And it's actually, um, you know, it really blocks out a lot of information we can be receiving from people who communicate differently. I don't know if you saw that incredible documentary, The Reason I Jump, um, based on the young Japanese autistic boy who at 13 years old, 10 years ago, wrote this extraordinary book an incredible writer explaining what it's like to be a nonverbal autistic person. And as part of the International Film Festival, they showed a documentary interviewing young nonverbal autistic people around the world. And a lot of them, when they're given the support and the capacity to be able to communicate, have the most extraordinary minds. And we mm. forget that um, there are so many ways to express ideas than just through written or verbal text. So I've had to learn so much and, and it's been a good wake-up call for me as, as a bit of a book snob. Yeah, oh, definitely. <laughs> Tell us about how you named it and what's the what's the significance with Wild Things. Yeah. Yeah, Wild Things. Okay, my all-time favourite picture book is Where the Wild Things Same. Are. Same. back. Yep. And, you know, there are so many beautiful things about that book, but it oh. really is, I, I think, the core of it that, you know, children express themselves in ways that aren't always uh, pleasant to be around. But 
amazingly, so many kids' books have characters that are really anti-authoritarian. Mm, you know, yeah, they, I love them. They, they stand up for themselves. You know, yeah. sometimes they're cheeky. You know, if you think of, um, uh, you know, who's the one who lives in the the, the plaza? Eloise. Eloise. <laughs> Imagine helping your actual child. You're, you'd be tearing your hair out. <laughs> so we love these kind of kids in literature, but somehow when we have them in real life, we don't know how to handle them. We're telling you yes. to be quiet, sit down, to stop moving. And so Wild Things is a tribute to our children that find it really difficult to do all of mm. those, sit down, be quiet, stop moving, and how sometimes their behaviour is just information that yep. below the surface there's a lot of stuff going on for them. Yep. And really it's our job as the grown-ups in the room to try to understand mm what's creating that behaviour rather than just react to it. And um, so I use excerpts from kids' books all throughout of beautiful wild things. Yeah, it's <laughs> and, perfect. Um, and yeah. yeah, Longstocking, I love her. Oh, oh I just, yeah. I wanted a um, sign made for the, we built our house and I wanted a sign made for the front like in French that said where the wild things are because I was like this is us. We are where the wild <laughs> things are. I've got embroidered the little crown, one of my sons has Where the Wild Things Are on a poster in his room. I just, I can't love that book. I think the twins, I think I read it to them every day for two years. Mm. They were obsessed yeah. with it and they still say, I'll eat you up, I love you so. I'm like, yes. <laughs> and there's so much, there are so many beautiful stories that come out about the author and illustrator mm. Morris Sendak and, um, you know, he talks about how, he always felt like he was writing books for himself. He never mm. thought he was writing down to children. And there are elements of that book that just are a little bit on the edge scary. And yeah. I think that's where the really good authors just come in and they really write to the child they have within themselves. Mm. Roald Dahl is another good example. Mm. And, you know, I think we forget that children, they, you know, they do have the capacity for big feelings and so they do recognise themselves in these characters. So, oh, yeah, yeah and that is just beautiful well done big fan too yeah it's oh just, yeah it's a oh. great name for the book it's just great <laughs> and what was sort of the what was the hardest thing about the book or what was the thing that was most challenging to write uh I have to say the bits that came out the easiest but were the hardest to hand over to my publisher were the personal bits mm, the yes. memoirs, I guess um in the beginning they were very light on the ground yes <laughs> I can relate I, yeah. yeah, I didn't feel like I, it was going to. I didn't want to write a memoir. I didn't want to write a parenting. No. Yeah. Just, no, don't do what I did. Yeah. And but <laughs> every time I put a bit of myself, and they were always the bits that people would respond to the most. Yes. So those are definitely the hardest bits. But I do think we carry stories within us, and when we share our stories, that is really the way we connect with other people. Yeah. There's heaps of research squashed in there as well that I've tried yes. to make it yes. palatable yeah. as possible. But yeah, I think really. What, <laughs> but I think what will connect the readers, I'm hoping, is the personal stories. Yeah, and I definitely. have some other beautiful personal stories in there that people gave me as well. Mm. So they were the hardest to write just because they're the bits where I feel the most vulnerable. and exploring. Yeah, I understand. The yeah. um, story about the teacher. <laughs> yeah, I know. That was kind of the moment. It where stopped I me in my tracks. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and I'm sure it's a familiar one, just where you feel like, I guess, you know, I had made the mistake thinking that our mainstream education system would give my son all the things that he needed. And mm. I hadn't realised until that moment that it was actually up to me to advocate. Yeah. And you said, hey, 
knew this already, mm. but I just took forever to recognize mm. this. And mm. so that was a moment where, you know, my son was being hauled into this room to be told off by teachers regularly. Yeah. And I thought, wow, you know, I had thought you could see that beautiful little boy underneath mm. that scowl and that hood and that crossed arms, but of course you can't. He's just another kid playing up in the classroom. Mm. So yeah. I have to be the one what he needs and fight for him behind the scenes because no teenager likes you advocating for them. Oh, no, 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 no. But I realised that was my job and I'm about as non-confrontational as a marshmallow, so yeah. you know, it's not easy to do. It's not easy. But no, but you have to because no one else is going to do it. It's not. Their teachers are amazing people. They go into because they love kids. Oh, yeah. But we expect too much of them. Way They're too not much. They're not, you know, social workers they're not doctors and nurses and so uh, you know fortunately I'm of the education and the means that I can create this body of people around my son to support him but the other another person I interview in the book works in schools where there are very um socially disadvantaged mm. families with kids mm. attending who right. may have arrived from very traumatic backgrounds yes maybe living in very challenging conditions some of them without even visas so can't access yeah. support systems and so I don't want to waste public resources or teachers on my son because I can pay for mm. psychologists and counsellors and all those sort of kind of supports. I'm really happy for those free resources to be going yes. to the in families that can't access them. Mm. So, um, yeah, I've had to really step up and learn to be an advocate. It's not not my favourite hat to wear, but... <laughs> no, no. No one tells you that when you're pregnant. No, no. one tells you that's something, no. do they? There yeah. needs to be a... And then what sort of advocate do you want to be? Do you want to be a, a someone who's, you, you know, no one teaches you that either? <laughs> no, you have to be all different advocates. Yeah. Depending on who yeah. you're talking to and... Oh, yeah, it's it's super tricky, but I'd tell you something funny. We were sitting around the table the other night and um, Buzz was asking me questions and he asked me about a particular teacher and I was really like, I said, well, you know what I did? And then he videoed me and he was like, this is my mum. And I was like, oh, oh like he was so proud of how Cute. much I went into bat for him. And I was like, wow, I just had no idea. I mean, he's 17 now. But I had no idea that he loved those stories. Like they're, mm. you know, when children ask for stories about their childhood, he likes the stories where I went in and stood up for him. Mm. So I'm like, at the time, I would have diarrhea before I did it, right? But <laughs> he's like, look at her. And I was like, wow. Yeah. yeah. And because if you can't get your parent to back you up, who is there in the no world? Well, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And, you know, I think it is also just that thing that for, the child that may have no belief in themselves. I mean, my son spent years thinking he was a failure because yep. he just didn't succeed no matter how he tried. Yep. And yep. so, you know, if I can't have total belief in him, who is there in the world that, that can? So, yeah. you know, there's someone that can always see something in you is so important no matter who you are. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to say that if for those of you who have the book, on page 41 and 42, you talk about driving in the car and Sam opens his NAPLAN results. Oh, and, oh, yes. I was just like big fat tears. Like I just I just hid my NAPLAN results because mm. they were my, you know, fourth and fifth children and I knew I didn't want them to see them. But just him like, you know, um, I'm dumb, aren't I? Like, you know, like how do you possibly articulate, no, this is a system that's not set up for you, but you're forced to do what the system says and then you're judged against it. Like, 
You can feel you realizing in that moment. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like that was so beautifully oh, written. Powerful. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. It is it's a really tricky balance, isn't it? And and obviously every parent with a child that has a disability will be um, faced with different challenges. Mm, mm, but I think, you know, for a while I was all about, oh, Richard Branson has dyslexia and I oh, know. incredible people in the world and you're a divergent. But you know, that's not going to be the case for everybody. No. There will be people that go through school completely challenged yep. and don't become superstars at the end of it. No, and so yes. It <laughs> most, <really> most. <laughs> yes, I actually so struggle with that narrative. Mm. Really, yeah. And look, I understand it because, yes. you know, you do want your child to think you can achieve whatever you set yes. out to achieve. Yes. But also not set them up for failure as well because, mm. um, you know, whatever it is, and so in the end, I got to this place where I was saying to my son, if you can find if you can find a way to support yourself mm. and to be doing something you're passionate about, that is an extraordinary success. Really? Oh. Not about whether you're going to be a billboard for somebody yep. or um, you know, earn lots of money or whatever. It's if you can do something that you get excited about waking up in the day to do, that's that's and that's I have fortunate. that in my work. You know, every day I'm excited to do what I do. So, yeah, I think that was a real lesson for me to to stop giving him these kind of slightly unrealistic yeah. <laughs> models to aspire to and just you be the best that you can be. Yes. You're going to have to work hard. Yeah. Yes, it's going to be boring some of the time too. <laughs> yeah. And, yes, there will be heaps of failures, but I'm here. You know, I'm your spotter. Yeah. Yeah. You're yep. up on the surface, but I'll catch you, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Oh, lucky boy, hey. Yeah. <laughs> lucky me. Gosh, I know. I know. They transform us. Really do, yeah. Yeah. To way better people. Oh, yeah. way better. Way, way better. <laughs> what, was, what was the easiest thing to write in the book then, if we've talked about the hardest? Um, the easiest thing I think was probably I actually really nerded out on, on the research. I was quite yeah. surprised how much I enjoyed doing that. Mm-hmm. So there are some extraordinary books out there that go mm. into the neuroscience of what happens in your brain when you're learning to read and Mm. because one thing that I didn't know and a lot of people out there might not know is that we're not born with the capacity to read we're Mm. born with the capacity to speak our mother Mm. tongue because we hear it Mm. in the womb Mm. and plus that's something we've had in our brains for a hundred thousand years Mm. written language Mm. um it has only been around for five and a half thousand yes it's relatively new and we don't actually have a part in our brain primed for that Mm. so we have to rewire our brain through practice and through specific teaching to be able to read and this was just blew my mind reading all these books about that so the Stanislas Dehan who's this extraordinary neuroscientist in France Marianne Wolf, who studies um, dyslexic children and so all these incredible minds writing these dense books yes and I had so much fun thinking okay now how would I explain this to someone over a cup of tea yes <laughs> oh you did it down the simplest language and that was actually really fun it was like kind of putting a puzzle together so I hope that it comes across as being accessible but not dumbing down at all I'm not at all no, 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 I no. felt like this was written for the everyday Mandy and Kate yeah definitely right? and oh, at yeah. the back you put all the resources even yes. the breakdown from each awesome. chapter oh and perfect. thanks for including us too. oh yeah thanks Thank for you. including us Thank you. <laughs> of course Because I think the number one reader of this book will either be someone who struggles to read themselves, Mm. and a few of my adult dyslexic friends have said, oh, thank goodness, a book I can read. But also a panicky parent. Mm, A panicky parent has the time to 
a really dense no. book on Europe. So None. I wanted to make it accessible, maybe even a little bit funny. Yeah. yeah. Um, and hopefully, <laughs> so hopefully many, um, educators. Yeah. That would Too. Be really, yeah. Really nice. Yeah. 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 And look, I think another really important thing for me to learn along the way was that we're all on the same side. Yes. Because sometimes in some of these parent groups, understandably, I do yes. teachers get a bit of a hard oh, time. Yeah. 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 We know what that feels like. But they're working within this very oh, of course. And, and the, so I think yes. I've really tried to put forward is it's very supportive of teachers and it's, mm. um, in fact, a lot of the people I interview are teachers and ask, yep. what resources do you need? Yes, yes. that's the question. Okay. That was a great question. Yeah. Mm. I remember when I moved my boys out of the junior school they were in, which was a prep to 12, and I moved them to another school. And the principal of the junior school said, um, I know what you want. You just want AIDS in every classroom. And I said, yes. That's what I want. That's 100% in. <laughs> and you think that's a bad thing. And the school that they're at has AIDS in every classroom and the kids fly. Like all the kids. Not, not, you know, that's how it should be. One teacher cannot be, I mean, I have five children and I did not manage to know what they were all doing. So no. we're asking one teacher to look at 18, 25, 30 kids and know what Impossible. they're doing? No. When yeah. I move my daughter to the special school and they have like 12 children in the class with mm. a teacher and you're mm. like, wow, okay, mm. and ES is moving around. Mm. Mm. There was more staff, photos on the wall than children. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, it, it would just... And I was just like, wow. And I remember saying to this principal, who obviously couldn't change anything because he's not at the education department, if you put AIDS in the classroom, you're going to cut down on the money that you're going to spend on people later in life. You're actually yeah. giving them freedom, you know, for the rest of their life. Yeah. So I don't care if the school has a nice oval, right? But I care <laughs> that these kids can't read. Yeah, you know that's a fantastic thing that you say too, because that was the number one thing that all the teachers I interviewed said. So they all had different suggestions, but mm. the number one thing was lower child to teacher ratio. Yeah, they of course. Just have too many kids coming in with all their things. Some of them yeah. just haven't had breakfast. And yes, and so it's too much to expect of one teacher. Too as much. You say to manage all of these things. So aides in each classroom. There's a fantastic teacher I interviewed, Francine, who works in this very low socioeconomic area where she'd actually come up with the idea of having students who were studying things like speech pathology yes. and um, uh, counselling and social work mm, mm. actually come in and do their training at the school. I mean, yeah, what a brilliant and easy idea. Yep, yep, yep. You know, those kids that really need that extra support in the early days, imagine mm. if we got it right early on what our yes. population would be when they all grow up. Oh, mm. well, it would be beyond game-changing. Yeah. <laughs> you Amazing. know, I, my scholarship, who obviously had a scholarship, the private school that she went to, when they're in year 11 and 12, for English, they only have 12 kids in the class, right? So obviously everything that's wrong with the world that one private school gets to do this, but it shows that they know that's how kids learn. So they didn't have a different curriculum to anybody else. They just have more time with the teacher. That's it. Yeah. yeah. So, and these are children who are bright, you know, textbook bright, whatever you want to call it, yeah. still do much better. Everyone does better with, you know, better ratios. I mean, when we went to school, 35, I remember having 35 kids in my class. But you no, know what? No. Mum didn't care how I went at school. So, <laughs> <laughs> I also think, you know, going back to that, 
there was definitely less pressure on kids for oh. that number at the end of year 12. Way it was totally. so much more acceptable to leave in year 10 and do yep. it. Yes. It wasn't expected that every child would be academic. You know, I yes. think there's more and more pressure on kids. There's an extraordinary book written, written by, I think it's Lucy Kulk and the Guardian journalist mm. called Beautiful Failures about mm. a huge research she did into the ridiculous amount of pressure that kids are put under today. Oh. Get that number after yep. 13 years of study. Oh. That's not what life is about. No. You know? Life is so much more. And as my son would say, why do I even have to do English? You know, yes. you went for maths for year 12. I agree. Why do I have to do English? I agree. I am, on, I am on his team. I do not understand it. You can do basic maths, but you can't do basic English. So it's so wrong. It's so ableist. Yeah. But anyway, society's decided. I think just... I mean, you're in Melbourne as well. We've been parenting through the pandemic, through the lockdowns. That completely changed my whole perspective as well. I was mm. like, just be happy. Yeah. <laughs> just yeah. choose whatever subjects are going to be, uh, you're going to feel good about yourself. Mm, like, mm. I, you know, that was a shift as well. And isn't it amazing how many parents really got to notice sometimes for the yeah. first time where their kids were struggling? Yeah, so many of us. How is it, my my goodness, my child, how is it that you're in grade four and you're still not reading or you're yeah. just able to keep up with what's going? And so there's a lot of, I've noticed even during, and I know Emma talked about this mm. in her press club talk, a lot of people even recognising their kids being on the spectrum yep, as well. Yep, yep. You know, and, and then a lot of parents, when they know their children are on the spectrum, thinking, oh, but my kid's just like me. Oh, hold on, maybe <laughs> I'm on the spectrum. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's a very common thing that happens. Yep. And, you know, as horrible and difficult and challenging as that period was, I would still say that's what saved my son and I. Right. Yeah. We were forced for the first time for almost a period of two years to spend a lot of time together and yes. no one would choose to do that with his mum voluntarily. No, no. So then he was roaming the streets at all hours. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. His friends were all locked down. There was nowhere for him to go. No. Yes. So we spent a lot of time together and I signed up to do a counselling course online and I've since completed a, um, a degree in gestalt psychotherapy as well. Wow. And I thought I need to upskill. I'm not. I'm not supporting my son in the way that he needs. And mm. the biggest thing I learned was to do less talking, more listening. And yeah. so I learned so much about him. And the more I listened, the more he opened up, the more he became able to express his emotions. Mm. So, you know, to see a 16-year-old boy at the end of your kitchen table just flooded with tears yeah. saying, I don't know where this is coming from. And me saying, yeah, I do. You know, this is years and years and years of trapped tears. And oh, yeah. that wouldn't have happened hadn't we not spent that huge amount of time together. Mm. So as hard as it was, I'm really grateful for it. Mm. I think it back to me. Oh, mm. when you talk about the grief at school and him just crying, oh, I just, uh, yeah, I mean, just how sad he was and how trapped it had been in him for so long. Oh, it was really hard to read as a parent. It's really heartbreaking it's and really I feel just awful. Um, I think because, like I say all the time, he was this gorgeous, sunny, curly-haired yes. little kid. Yeah. But even as a young adult now, he's told me that he used to come home from primary school and hide himself in his room to cry because he didn't yeah. want us to worry about him. Yeah. And mm, yeah. so I just think all those years he was protecting me. You know? Yeah, I know. Sweethearts. Oh, yeah. yeah. I know. Yeah. 
Well, I just want to relieve you of that guilt in this space because the yes. P's are we are all you yep. in all the ways. <laughs> yep, yep. Right? And so, you know, so when you're with us and when you're talking to our community, we're all going, yeah, high five, we missed it too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? yep, 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 we did. It's okay. And it you're doing okay. a tremendous job. Thank you. And, look, that's the gift that both of you are giving to people like me is that, um, you know, just that safe space to say, look, I, I don't feel like I've done a very good job. Mm-hmm. And um, for other people to say, it's fine, we did it yeah. too. We yeah. 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 You know, it's so um, powerful. It is. And it's never too late to upskill. No. no. I feel now I, at 15, I decided my son needed me to upskill. I needed to learn to be an advocate. Mm. I needed to turn things around. And I'm really proud to say that I did. Yeah. He's still got a long road ahead of him. Of course. But the, you know, I changed how he feels about himself. Yeah. Um, We've found other career pathways. He's Mm. doing a pre-apprenticeship at the moment in Mm. electrotechnology. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But more importantly, he feels good about himself. Yes. That's all that matters. He's different to most people, but he's actually called that. And why would you want to be the same as everybody else anyway? No. And once you can break out of those boxes of schooling, mm. yeah, you can be who he wants to be. Oh, yeah, you just got to get through yeah. school. Just, yes. And I <sighs> think, you know, you, you're harsh on yourself as we are, but we're also, as we always say, proudly mediocre. Let's just be proud that we didn't get it all right. But yeah. when you write that, you know, you found an old journal or whatever that you'd written in the middle of the night, um, trust your kid, they will show themselves to you. Be ready to love who you see. I was like, oh, yeah, they they do show themselves to you, and we try and not see it because they're not the same as the kids sitting next to them in class. Mm. But so you were on his team the whole time, and sometimes when they show themselves to you, it's scary. And oh yeah, all of it as well. You know, there can be things parts of their personalities where you think, whoa, that's that's not what I wanted my kid to be. Oh, definitely. Oh. No, they're still evolving. They're still working out who they are in the world. So if they're mm. constantly showing themselves to you and you're being shocked or um, you're showing some kind of judgment, how will they possibly evolve and open up? You know, teenage boys have access to extraordinarily um, toxic things. Yes. In and they're going to take some of that on. And if you yep. just shut them down and tell them they're bad people, why would they possibly share those yeah. ideas with you again? But if you use that as starting points for conversations, that's interesting. Why do you think like that? And is that mm. really what you feel? Or is that potentially what someone you follow on the internet mm. has told you? Eventually they do come up with their own moral values and their own mm. perspective on the world, which is probably more similar to what you were hoping they would be. But they've kind of kind of almost break away and reject you first yeah, it's, before they take on all your feminist, feminist values. That's right. It's so true. It's so true. Although one yeah. of one of the twins said to me the other day, I am just doomed to be a feminist. And I was like, yeah, you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's got two very feminist sisters doomed. and I'm doomed, doomed. mum. It's like, yeah. yep, sorry, you can fight it. Doomed. But it's yeah. coming back. <laughs> Can you tell us about your picture book you wrote with Eliza as well? Yes. Thank yes. You for that question. So Eliza and I now live in the same town. I recently moved to Castlemaine. Oh, oh it's beautiful. beautiful. 
So we've been friends for a while and Eliza is an extraordinary musician, mm, producer mm, um, mm. and also a disability advocate. So when she came to me and said she'd really like to write a book for families uh, living with disability, yeah. I come on board with it? And I said, oh, my goodness, are you serious? Of course, I'd love to. Yes. And yes. so every single family depicted in the story, so we meet from memory seven families uh, from the deaf community, um, the... Um, I'm still getting my fair around all the terms, yes. um, vision impaired families, uh, a child in, that uses a wheelchair. Yeah. And so yeah. lots of different examples of the way that different families adapt mm. and create an environment that allows them the possibility to be their whole selves, mm. which is what Eliza taught me about what the social model is. Mm-hmm. And so we go into these homes and these kids are awesome. They're having a great time, you know, come and come over to my house, come over and play. We're going to have a fantastic time together. And so every single family is based on families that Eliza knows. So she ran all of them past different people in the disability community to check that they felt well represented. Mm-hmm. And for that, certainly that's an important part of the book is representation. But also for kids like me when I was growing up, I didn't grow up meeting any disabled mm-hmm. families. And so I'm still stumbling around the terminologies, you know, the kind of language that makes people feel comfortable Mm, mm. and so if this book is anything it's a conversation starter in the home in the classroom how to desensitize language around Mm, mm, how to ask appropriate questions but not to put that burden on disabled mm, community mm. either um but really to open kids up to tap into their curiosity Mm. and not to shut that down and and make them you know don't look at that person they're disabled Mm. um it's all about these are people in our community. Let's go into their houses. Let's meet them. Beautiful. And let's start these conversations around what it's like to live um, to have a, a as an amputee or what it's like to live with androcoplasia. Can you tell mm. me about that? Probably <laughs> a form of dwarfism. Yeah. And yes. so in a sense, it shows these beautiful families to children. They're invited mm. into their homes and um, it just normalises these mm. beautiful people in our environment that are living lives like you and me. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. I was searching for books like that when oh, my definitely. girls were little. And, yeah, I'd be sure. like, and I'd be on sort of forums and they'd be like, this book has an AFO, which is the ankle foot authority. Okay, everyone buy it. Yeah, right. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I bought one for the kinder and I bought one for grandma and I bought mm, one, you know, mm, you're just mm, like mm. searching for how can we bring this into our family in a a way that's joyful. Mm. Yeah, it's fun, it's joyful. There was a book I read when I was growing up, you may have had it too, called Come Over to My House by Dr. Seuss. Yep. And it was meeting kids all around the world that lived in different houses, you know, mm, some, in, mm, some in yurts. And so really this is a tribute to that, but it's yep. different houses, people living with different abilities. Yeah, yeah beautiful. Oh, amazing. Oh, yep. tell everyone to go and buy it. Yep. Oh, thanks. Yep. <laughs> yes, of We love course. Eliza. She's yes, awesome. Yeah. Yeah, 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 she really is. Oh, fantastic. I thought I should say that the title of your book isn't just Wild Things, it's How We Learn to Read and What Can Happen If We Don't. Mm. Oh, I think there's, I mean, I know the peas are going to be all over this, but there's lots of people who listen that, you know, our beautiful rectum communities and um, they will really love it too. Yeah. Because, you know, it really, it's just about learning that we're all different and how do we support everyone in that journey, really? And just makes us all better people. And it's learn. pretty. It's so pretty. It's very <laughs> how did you choose all that? We know, like, uh, that's amazing, all the process, isn't it? Amazing cover designer. I'm so lucky to work with um, Hardy Grant Kids. Everyone's mm. like, what? 
this is from the kids department. It's like, yeah, children's <laughs> publishers read adult books too. Yes. Children's publishers yep. are also parents. Yes. Um, because I love my publishing team and we published so many beautiful books. Yes. Mm. Of course, they were with me the whole time I was struggling with my son. I might have to cancel meetings or come yes. back mm. and do it. Mm. But they knew the story the whole way through. So when I said, I think I need to write this into a book, they were so supportive of it. And so I can't imagine being held by a better publishing community. Oh. Yeah, and they also published come over to my house as well. So. Yes. Yay, how do you got kids? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, it's, a, it's an important working relationship. Mm. Yeah, it's true. You develop really close relationships because I guess, you know, I'm one of those kind of weird people that's never had a proper job and <laughs> I've never worked hand <laughs> side. But there's part of that I really feel like I miss out on. I miss, you know, the, yes. the conversations where you Same. turn up at work on Monday and yeah. ask about someone's weekend. Yep. And yep. so this is as close as I'll ever get my yes. community. Yep. They are yep. the people that know who I am, where I'm at. Um, I tend to be a big, big oversharer. So Perfect. they're cool with that. <laughs> they can handle that. <laughs> and You're they're also, you know, they're also the people that make sure that whatever I send out into the world is me, but also the best version yes, of me that I can. Yes, yes, safe. Yes, safe. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. We could talk to you forever and ever and ever, but no, is there so anything that we've missed today that you would uh, love to tell our pay community? I guess I think when the podcast come out, count comes out, it will be launch week and during that week yes. uh, both Wild Things and Come Over to My House are going to be out at the uh. same time. I've just updated Amazing. my website and I've got lots of events on the front page. Oh, so good. if you are in Melbourne and you'd like to come along to any and I'll be updating it when I've got some um, interstate mm. events and book signings too. So, oh. yeah, I'd love to see you, love to meet more people in the peer community. Yeah. And once again, just, you know, thank you for creating this beautiful space and for allowing me to, to be here among you. Oh. oh, so everyone is welcome. Everyone. Yes. <laughs> yes. Correct, right? yeah. Even them. Even them. That don't want to be re-educated. Yes. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Thank you, Sally. It was fantastic to meet so, you. And, and the book is amazing. I've just yep. underlined all this stuff in there and I'm like, who am I underlining this for? <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah, to read again. Yeah, I just, oh, yeah. yeah, I love it. I'm definitely going to give it to my daughter who's the paediatric OT. She will devour it. Go and buy it, please. Yeah. Love your yeah. work. Well, we love great. yours. Yes, thank, thank you. you. Oh, oh, she was so great. So great. Peas, you have to buy the book. It's beautiful. Yes. I mean, yes. it's got, um, uh, what are they called in the very beginning when someone, what's it called when it's on the front of the book? A recommendation? Yeah, yeah. Well, she there's asked a, us. There's a recommendation in the dust jacket by Kate and Mandy. Yes, there is. <laughs> it's just true. so weird. And it's our style. To open it up and look at it and go, oh, that's my name. But it's true. So it says, this made us tear up immediately. Oh, definitely. An important book for us all. I just, yeah, I got sent, we got sent through like some of her original yes, stuff. Yes. And I was just already like tears yes. rolling down my face. Like Incredible. This is so... No one talks about what it feels like when your children can't read, when no. you take reading so seriously and you feel like you're the only one. And at the and, end, yeah. like on the back cover, it says, after all, they say school isn't for everyone, but if everyone must go to school, then why not? You're like, that's yeah. right. They've all got to go. <laughs> They've all got to go. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, it was just a beautiful book piece. You're going to love it, love it, love it. Yep, yep. yep. So thank you, Sally, for coming mm. on. Okay, yep. what made you cry this week? 
Okay, so this week what made me cry, I've got two things. One, obviously the world is mourning the Queen. Yeah. Um, and there's lots of mixed emotions about all of that mm. and I get that it's tricky. Mm. But I was really sad about Uncle Jack. He's mm. just got the most beautiful face, um, mm. a beautiful Indigenous elder in mm. our city and our town and you know, it's very we, poignant, actually. Yeah, it really it was, was. like when Mother Teresa died after the Princess Di, and yeah. you're like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's sort of similar, you know, like, yeah, oh yeah. Mm. And so that's made me very teary, and just seeing his beautiful smiling face, mm. going, "Gosh, you gave the world a lot after it really mm. served you up a yes, lot of crap." That's right. And you just gave back so beautifully. Yeah. And the other thing we have a listener of this podcast. Um, she's been on it. Our beautiful friend Lou. Um, she did an ADHD episode for us probably 2020, I reckon. Mm. It was definitely during yeah, the pandemic. Yeah, we were in lockdown. Yep. And she's been given a really, really tricky diagnosis herself and she's in for the fight of her life. So she's got, you know, beautiful boys that need her and, yeah, I've just been really, really achingly sad about that and you just realise how absolutely unfair life is. It's just mm. unfair. So, mm. yeah, what about you this week, Mandy? Oh, well, yep, mm. the world news. And mm. then I had to have root canal. And so oh, I go into the yes. dentist and I said, and the queen's died from my tooth. <laughs> <laughs> it's not funny, but it's I've just been in pain and I yeah. I just want to say to the to the dentist, I'm a carer and it's hard to be in pain. Yeah, because I can't realize, stop. I can't stop, but I, I'm at the mercy of dentists mm. and um you know, what do you say? You can't beg them. Well. But I've wanted to. Yeah. Um, and then I think, oh, my gosh, Mandy, you're not in pain all the time and plenty of people are. Mm-hmm. So just, you know, your pain can be relieved hopefully one day. Yeah. Um, yeah. The just toothache sobbing, is different. Sobbing over the bench, spitting yes. out <laughs> blood and just, and these dentists thinking, wowza, look at this yeah. one. <laughs> but not a care in the world about how I look no. or sound or feel. Yeah. Just like, please help me. Yeah, help me, help me. We had our beautiful pea lunch. Poor Mandy's like, how am I going to cope with my mouth? <laughs> and yeah, I know there are worse things in the world, but it was really, really hard. Yeah. And it's just been a long time. Oh, anyway, I've just had a shocking weeks. year of teeth. You have. So um, anyway, that, and then I think of all our beautiful people that are nonverbal. How do they tell people when they've got tooth pain? I know. I've been oh, crying about that, yeah, Kate. Yeah, I know. How do people tell when they've got I know, and they've got to wait till they get a fever and someone goes, oh, yes. shit, you've got an infection. I know. Yes, I know. I've really been thinking about it a lot. So, yeah, yep, I've yep. just been poor Mandy. Um, well, no, yeah. also thinking about other people. Yeah, yeah, I've tried. Yeah, anyway, yeah. so yes, what about you make a difference? Okay, so I've got a big make a difference this week. There's a restaurant in Melbourne that's very cool called Gimlet and mm. I got to go there for dinner and someone else paid. Oh, <laughs> so wow. I don't have a lot of money at the moment um, and it's an expensive dinner, you know, like $150. Wow. Like I'm talking wow. you would never, you just wouldn't do that, right? Well, I mean some people would but most of us wouldn't. And it was just lovely and the food was amazing. Mm. And you know, you're just like, oh. Anyway, it was just, it was beautiful and the the maitre d' or whatever came over at the end and I know we've been out of lockdown for a year but it was someone's birthday, a friend's birthday, and she said to the table, I'm never getting over seeing friends having a birthday ever again. Mm. And I thought, yeah, it's been a year and she's still, mm. 
that was what she said to our group. It wasn't, yes. thanks for coming to my restaurant or did you enjoy the food or it was just like, you got mm. to be together. Yes. So I just think, yeah, I think it's not just the food anymore. It's No, the, it's not. You know? So, mm. yeah, it was a big make a difference. Yeah. Mm. What about you? Well, mine was the beautiful pea lunch. Yes. Thank you to Jackie. It was and amazing. Everybody came yes. and it was so lovely to meet you all and the oh. drawing we got from that gorgeous oh. little girl. And, yeah, and just to see, Cards. I just stood back and, and watched, you know, a couple of the women with their little pea shoots. Little pea shoots each other crawling and around. To each other. And I just oh. thought, this is the moment, Mandy. Yep. And, you know, um, thank you to everyone who came. Thank yep. you to... Jackie for putting it on oh, so it was incredible. A the whole restaurant of awesome. peas. I know. It was awesome. So yep. Yep. scholarship it came was, and yeah, she was like, was great. I am excited about this food. <laughs> it's been yeah, so long since we've buffet. just gone through it. I haven't had a buffet since pre-COVID. Yeah, 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 of course. So it was just so, amazing. Yeah, and I was just really super thankful. And people, Jackie was just overwhelmed and yeah. people were saying, oh, I loved your episode. And, yes. and thank you to the women that were all um, ESs, all the A's yes. at the end that were talking to us. And it was I had a lovely chat with them at the end. And mm. just, you know, peas are encouraging. Oh, best community they? ever. Yeah, yeah it was so beautiful. it was terrific. And then, and then that night, Gorgeous Molly got to walk on the MCG. Yes. So Team Vic were invited to um, walk on the MCG. So she had to get her uniform. Because it's footy finals for those of you outside yeah, of Victoria so or really Australia. It's a deal. massive course, thing in Melbourne. The TV massive. didn't show them. Of but course. anyway, yes. um, people got some footage for me. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah, she was very excited and um, had a lot of Collingwood fans behind her yes. teaching her some, some <laughs> language. She said they were saying bullshit, bullshit, and she said so I did too. <laughs> and they won. Let's forget Collingwood won. Oh, anyway, it was good for her to spend some time with Team Vic as a whole because we're yeah, going to be going yeah. down to Launceston for that. So, and I just thought of all the Special Olympics people, Victorians, they are the biggest survivors. Oh, they so really for are. them yeah, to yeah. have that experience, mm. I was proud of them. Yeah, yeah. gorgeous, 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 yeah. gorgeous. Yep. What about your laugh? Oh, so what made me laugh this week was that we, I was in the car with Buzz and Woody and um, Buzz leaned over to the steering wheel. We were stopped at the lights and he went as if he was going to punch it. And I was uh -huh. like, oh, because the horn would go off. Yeah. And he goes, Mum, if you punch this, it'll fight back. You know, like the airbag will go off. <laughs> I just grabbed his hand and I was like, oh, 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 can you imagine? I'm sitting at the lights. I beep the horn airbag. at someone and then the airbag goes off in my face. I was like, oh. I laughed for a long one. time but then I was like, oh, oh, still a bit on the edge with these children. Oh, yes, they can always surprise you. Yes. So mm, oh, anyway, boy. It didn't, the airbag didn't go off but, yes, the car Good. can fight you. back. Yes, it can fight back. <laughs> Boy. Anyway, anyway. Oh. What well, about you? I laughed. I didn't really laugh in the beginning, but I laughed at the end. So poor Molly had a moment where she was spraying some ant spray in our kitchen. We've had a whole lot of ants yeah. since our house got re-stumped. They've yeah. just gone, hello. Right. So anyway, and then she um, got into a bit of a tiz, I will say, because mm. she thought that she'd got some mortine on her thumb and she'd put the thumb in her mouth. Yeah. So I couldn't quite help her. So what I've learned about when we get in one of these things is we just have to get to the facts. So I yes. rang the poisons line. Yes. <laughs> and I said, hello, Greg. Yep. <laughs> my name's Mandy. This is my daughter. 
da 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 da. She's got an intellectual disability. She's like, hello. And he said, I said, she's had some mortine on her thumb and we've washed it, but she's worried she's poisoned herself. And he said, you are 100% safe. Which was so beautiful. And I said, did you hear that? You are 100% safe. Okay. So I just thought, shout out, remember the poisons line. Yeah. Or just think about when you need the facts. But what made me laugh was I thought we were in this really beautiful moment. So I was like, thank you very much. You've really helped. And he goes, okay, uh, what's your postcode? (laughs) (laughs) Got to tick all the boxes. Three, 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 three. Yeah, pretty much. I just thought, oh, I thought we were going to have a thank you very much. You've really helped our situation. And I'm really. No. Okay. Okay. Okay, Here we go. (laughs) I laughed about it for ages because I thought (laughs) he was like, here comes another one of these people. (laughs) But we need the statistics. Yeah, that's right. Oh, gosh. So anyway, if you're on one of those lines, thank you. Yes. And, um, yeah, sometimes I just have to go to the facts. So I think it's a helpful thing to remember. And Mm. so then I went on. I was like, right, so we know we've got the kids' helpline. We've got um, lifeline. We've got the poisons line. And Miss Eleven goes, okay, thanks for the mandisplaining. Ah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I am. I'm yep. over. I'm mandisplaining to you. Yep. There are phone lines. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, the real estate agents put out those magnets and they have all the. Um, yeah, do they? All the numbers on yeah, them? Yeah, they're quite mm. handy. You're like, oh. Mm. Uh. Yeah, you forget about them, mm. but they are there. And so you can anyway. just um, get some scissors and chop the real estate agent's <laughs> photos off <laughs> and just have them on your fridge. If you can find the scissors, people. If you can, Thank you, you know. Thank you for all the scissors <laughs> oh, memes. Always send Constantly them. Constantly <laughs> makes me laugh. Thank you. Thank you. Yep. Oh, yep. dear. Okay, well, we'll let you go to that please. Yes. Thanks Rate for listening. And review. There may not be we'll snap peas for the next couple of weeks because yep. we're on school holidays. School so holidays. we're on uh, um, yep. part-time profile. I don't know. What do you call it? But anyway, we're yeah, limited we're podcasting. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. we'll see you when we're back. We will. Okay, okay see you. Bye. Bye.